Hello. Hello. Okay, here's, here's one for you, Villa. Mm-hmm. How many Bitcoin miners does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, a completely redundant amount, I guess. <laughs> a million. One to change it and the rest to verify he did it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome. This is episode two of Fintech Daydreaming. I'm your host, Ville Sainto. I'll be your uh, host for today. And I'm, as always, joined by my co-host, Paul Grugdahl. Hi, Paul. Hey, Villa. Nice to uh, to chat with you again. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, episode two. Let's see how this goes. So our guest today, David Grundy. David Grundy is the uh, group head of DLT and blockchain uh, at Danske Bank. Hi, David. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Yeah, doing good. Nice to meet you, David. Yeah, nice to meet you, Paul. Okay, I guess just before we start, it's probably worth me mentioning that, uh, you know, the views that I represent here are my own rather than my banks. And um, yeah, we can go from there. All right. And as you could probably guess from the uh, from the title of our valued guest here, today's topic is going to be blockchain. And I know that we, you know, in the episode one, we actually talked about, they have a discussion about uh, banking platforms, the platformication of banking in general. And indeed, that is a topic that is coming down the line. And, you know, we are trying to line up some some interesting guests or guests for that episode. But because we had a chance to have David uh, already here uh, for, for episode two, we decided to, you know, take a stab at the, uh, about uh, on the blockchain topic uh, first. So the topic of the day is really what we call the blockchain. Now, this is an interesting, uh, interesting topic from from many angles. So first of all, my role in in many of the companies that I worked with, worked and, and still work today is related to blockchain. So I've obviously kind of have been through a journey uh, on the on the blockchain topic. The the kind of challenge with the blockchain really is that you know when when you talk about the blockchain, you don't simply talk about the blockchain because everybody has their own opinion about what it is. If you talk to uh, you know people uh, associated with for example, the Bitcoin uh, world. I mean, they want to see it as as, as the kind of a enabling technology behind the uh, the Bitcoin or the digital cash movement that they are kind of really believing in. And then, if you talk to bankers, it's probably just the uh, the annoying thing that the uh, the innovation departments keep on talking about all the time, but they really don't understand it. And then, when you talk to the banks, innovation departments, or uh, or the business people inside the banks. Uh, they see that as a distributed database, uh, more or less, that actually allows for something interesting to be done that perhaps couldn't be uh, done before. And then when you talk to the uh, the skepticists, uh, you know, the people who uh, are really deep into the technology, they, they really see it's just uh, as a networking protocol. They, they don't really see what the, what the big thing is about. And uh, they, they actually start to talk about, you know, what, that, you know, we could do this in a much more efficient way. And so it's a, it's a spectrum uh, for some, for some people, blockchains are networks. For some people, it's the religion of, of, uh, of a new uh, world order and a new hierarchy for money. If you will. And ultimately, even for the big tech companies uh, and social media companies, it's perhaps a gateway uh, into building some kind of a globally accepted currency, perhaps in the future. We'll see. Uh, Today, we'll have a discussion about all or 
some of these topics. We'll see how far we get. Uh, one thing is for sure. Uh, there will be things that we will not be able to cover in, uh, in today's episode. And it's probable that we're going to have deeper dives into, into specific topics about uh, blockchain uh, in future episodes. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's see what the feedback is about this episode first. And uh, we'll see uh, which that, uh, things might be uh, worth uh, going deeper into uh, later on as well. But on to the discussion uh, after this uh, brief introduction. So, David, Paul, we've, we've all been working on, on the blockchain topic, obviously, uh, for quite some time now. And I could probably say that we, we've seen a thing or two, uh, you know, for better or worse. So we could start from any question. Uh, but I guess the, uh, the obvious question that everybody's thinking about, especially if you're kind of been around the block a few times with these blockchain topics, is that what really annoys you the most? Uh, when people start talking about the blockchain. <laughs> Fantastic. I love yeah. it. Great question. I think, David, I I'm going to let you start with that one. That's a cool one. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think like you highlighted in your intro, it's an interesting topic because it, it means so many things to so many different people. And I think it depends on who you talk to. I mean, like right now, I think my, my I guess, biggest issue or bugbear with it is people's lack of awareness in terms of what it means to be able to get this technology live right that that's one of my sort of big issues so far i mean i, I spend a i spend a lot of my time on the education space you know for the last couple of years like really explaining what blockchain is you know what's capable of doing you know what is what is it all about and you know we've obviously got the hype factor as well but the, the big thing that sort of gets to me a little bit more than most at the moment is I, I see a lot of proposals, a lot of presentations where they talk about the tech, but they don't really cover the topics of, you know, how do we make it real? How do we make it live? I guess that's kind of an issue for me, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm just getting old. <laughs> it's called, it's called being pragmatic, my friend. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, it, it's, it's an intro, but like you said, I think the key thing is what you said early on. It means many different things to many different people, depending on your, technical competence, what what you believe in, what you don't believe in. It, it's it's a really interesting topic in many ways. I, I think I would agree with that. I've gone on the journey as well, like you're saying, David, from quite early on. I was doing a lot of enablement uh, around blockchain probably about you know four or five years back. And I think going through this journey, I think you, you're right that there is extremes from one side to the other. There's some people that have the notion that blockchain really just only is about Bitcoin and permissionless public networks and censorship resistance and everything else. And anything else that we talk about in, in this area are just blockchain by name, that they're not really blockchains, yeah. are they? Yeah. All the way yeah. up to, to the ones that think that blockchain is going to solve everything. It's a silver bullet. It's a technology that's, you know, that notion, I've got a blockchain hammer and everything I'm facing is a, a nail that I can hit with it. So I think the ones that, uh, or the discussions that end up becoming very religious or, or political, like you were saying, Villa, on one extreme or the other, tends to, to frustrate me a little bit. But we're all entitled to our own opinions. We're all heading in a interesting new direction. I think blockchain is still in its infancy, and there is a journey to still continue going in. And I'm really looking forward to um, following through this journey. Yeah, I think I think that is a key point as well. Is you know, I know, I mean, the hype's built this up so much over the years that people, you know, often ask questions. You know, what has it done? Where is it? And uh, but it is still in its infancy. And I think people 
in the field understand that and i think people understand this is a it's a long play rather than an immediate effect but um i think one thing that people don't realize as well though is the the amount of effort that's gone into this space and, and what that has resulted in you know there's there's been a massive leap forward in cryptographic uh solutions and and theories and and other associated technologies with this have really made leaps and bounds forward right and i think that can only be a good thing and i think when you look at that in terms of other potential solutions like blockchain combined with something else or blockchain combined with iot whatever it might be mm. um it's always a journey it's always a step forward right and you always learn from from mistakes and you also learn from the positives as well so um yeah it could be interesting yeah absolutely and i think i think another thing that's that's quite critical here is the fact that we've got lots of different flavors of of blockchains or uh, dlts distributed ledger technologies out there because that competitive drive is what's really making us push forwards at at a faster pace yeah competition is actually very good at the moment and i i think that's Something we should embrace. It is. Continue to support the the various types of uh, blockchain. It is. Are you are you worried at all about the fragmentation though? Are you are you worried about that we get to a point where, you know, we've got so much diversity and so much, you know, everyone doing their own thing that we don't really step forward because you know everyone's kind of competing too much and actually I, the whole technology requires collaboration in some form. So. I think I'm drawing a parallel back to the early days of internet web application servers, right? right? There was a proliferation at the beginning, quite same as what we're having with blockchain, that there were people going off in different directions. But we we started aligning ourselves to to certain standards uh, and those sort of things. And eventually you got to a certain level where there was interoperability, right? You could take elements from one web application server and deploy onto another. Yes, there was some inconsistencies, but we ended up in a place where it made sense. And I think blockchain is going to do the same. I think we're going to spread out, but there's going to be a unification that happens. And that's part of this competitive journey that we all have to go on. I think that's that's a positive thing. Yeah, I think, but you know, one of the kind of key things about the whole blockchain conversation and all the crazy things that's happening is that it's very, very technology driven. And I think, you know, yeah. it, it lends yeah. to the uh, to the points that you made earlier, David and, and Paul as well, that, you know, when you talk to, you know, about the, the annoying things that, you know, when you talk to blockchain companies, I mean, they usually use blockchain shorthand uh, as a shorthand for basically not doing their homework on, on the business that they're proposing on the blockchain yeah. so they effectively are saying that you know we don't need to do xyz because uh because we have this blockchain and then when you kind of drive dive deeper into the blockchain well it, it really not it's not even a network so it's uh it's a technology solution uh now in in terms of interoperability i mean it's it's the same conversation all over again interoperability is not a technical exercise it is a business decision i mean ultimately uh mm. when you when you build these networks you know powered by blockchain dlt and such uh i think the uh you know the decision to actually make those work together is is driven by business rationale so for example having worked with trade finance for for a while now uh on the blockchain network side i mean you know again it just makes business sense to make these networks work together and i think that's the way we will reach interoperability and ultimately even uh, the technical standards it's business first uh instead of technology first which uh, again is a bit of the annoying things that uh, blockchain brings with it uh, at least in my mind no i definitely agree 100 percent yeah 
Um, one, one question though, one, one thing I have seen in a trend which I'm, I'm was quite happy about, but I'm also a little concerned about is we probably all do the same. We collectively to a lot of students, you know, master students looking at, you know, innovation technologies. And they've obviously got a keen interest in the blockchain DLT and I see lots of presentations from them. And I think it's really good that we're educating, you know, on these technologies at, at that level, you know, through the school system and into the education system higher up. But one thing that still concerns me is they, they always ignore, they always ignore legacy or they always ignore the existing systems. And that really worries me. They come with a proposal that says, hey, this is going to change the world. But a lot of them don't know what they're changing. Right. And, mm. and in terms of adoption and in terms of moving this technology forward and and you know, really benefiting from it. It's it's great to say this is a new new and that's fine, but we need to understand what problem we were trying to solve. And also, you know, how do we move? How do we migrate to that new system? It doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah, yeah. Right? And and that's a big I've I've talked to a number of universities about this. And like are you teaching, you know, teaching these students about the legacy, what the issues were, what the problems were like, and even again coming back to this question of Okay, if that's the problem, how do we change it, and how do we get the steps to go live? How do we make this real? And uh, I think there's a gap. Yeah, there, so. sure. And I think that's uh, actually an interesting segue to you know the second question or the second kind of topic that I wanted to cover in this in this conversation, which is uh, smart contracts. I mean, you know, it's it's one of the things that you know I guess uh, you know fueled the hype, uh, which uh, the enterprise blockchain hype, which uh, started in 2015. So we cannot really not uh, talk about it. So on the topic of uh, of of smart contracts, I actually, you know, happened to read an interesting paper on this topic uh, this week. But it was done by the uh, the London School of Economics uh, called Cloud Cloud Crypto Land, written by uh, Edmund Schuster, who is uh, a, who is an uh, associate professor of law at uh, London School of Economics. For the listeners, I'll put the uh, link to the paper uh, in show notes, uh, so you can have a look if you want to. But uh, in this paper, uh, Professor Schuster kind of concludes that uh, you know, especially uh, when it comes to permissionless blockchains like, uh, you know, the public Ethereum network or any kind of these, uh, you know, smart contract enabled networks, having a kind of a globally applicable law and uh, lawfully uh, enforceable uh, agreements or contracts kind of uh, done in a di- with a digital representation in these networks is practically impossible. He also talks about that uh, the solutions uh, for these problems, uh, for these permissionless networks and the incompatibility with legal frameworks uh, on a global scale uh, can be solved by going into permissioned kind of setups, but then also proceeds to argue that the uh, the permissioned networks might actually not make that much sense because it removes the uh, <laughs> removes the the only benefit that in his mind blockchains have, which is the nature of it being permissionless and trustless, uh, which is a thing that you will automatically lose, of course, when going into these kind of closed networks like uh, banks tend to prefer to work in. Now, I guess, you know, what he tries to say is that uh, smart contracts are, you know, neither smart or contracts, uh, which is something I fully agree with. I think they're more like uh, digital, <laughs> you know, scripts that both sides agree on uh, more than anything else, or even, even in the best case. But at the same time, you know, we're seeing like, you know, the DeFi movement or the decentralized finance movement, uh, you know, where, you know, all sorts of crazy people or, you know, smart people, if you will, uh, all around the world are creating these kind of new kinds of financial instruments uh, powered by uh, quote-unquote smart contracts typically on the uh, ethereum blockchain even though there are others as well now what do we think about this DeFi space and smart contracts i mean you know is this just you know some tech kids messing around or is this the future of uh, finance what do you think i uh, yeah i 
I think this topic <laughs> could you could spend hours on this topic alone, right? Um, but I, I, I think it's, it, I think it's interesting to always to experiment. But I think you know, as you highlighted from what you read, the legality of of smart contracts and jurisdictions and enforcements of decisions or court orders within that technology stack is 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 a challenge. Does it have a place in different you know decentralized finance? Possibly. I mean, if you look at it from a if a can if a contract could be represented in a pure mathematical form that's unambiguous um, because maths is, um, then you know maybe there's some validity in this. But then again, you come back to the public versus private, right? Um, you know, what sort of technology base do you do this on? So I would say it's interesting to experiment. I think maybe it has some place and there's some interesting applications for this, but I don't think it's going to completely displace everything that's there at the moment. There's going to be elements taken and elements. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think, first of all, I don't think we've seen the killer app yet of blockchain. I think that still has to come. It's it's part of this notion again that blockchain is is in its infancy and we've got a journey to go on until we realize the new business values and it goes back to what you were saying earlier david Mm -hmm. blockchain is more about finding the right business cases and looking at it from a business perspective rather than a technology perspective but i think also there is a slight element here of interpretation maybe the term smart contract carries with it some misconceptions i think if we look at it from a very simplistic point of view villa there is some element of contractual agreement that's happening between two parties that can be represented in executable code at a very simplistic level and i think putting that into to machine code that says if i do this and you do that and we reach agreement something will happen that is to a certain degree contractually agreeing on something. But when we move it into the, the legal world, the legal ease, then I agree. It's very difficult to say, will this stand up in a court of law, etc. So maybe maybe the terminology is wrong. Maybe it shouldn't be smart contract. Maybe it should be smart agreement. Yes, I think uh, I think even Vitalik like Buterin that. said that, you know, this should be more like uh, that he you know he would prefer the the uh, the term like persistent scripts or something like that rather than mm-hmm. smart contracts, which is you know exactly what it is. I mean it is the digital representation of an agreement uh, between parties. Now, I think where this gets complicated is, uh, well, first of all, you know, if you cross jurisdictions, so if if I make a a digital agreement uh, or a digital contract, whatever you want to call it, uh, with somebody from Australia, you know, from here, from Finland, uh, you know, then you have two legal systems that effectively don't recognize this digital agreement unless specifically agreed that it it is something that is is done. I mean, it's... The problem of these things cross jurisdiction is is really the fact that you will lose. There is no real legal recourse. I mean, we can you know we can agree between two parties. We can agree you know between us that you know we will respect that uh, you know whatever whatever is on the blockchain is is the agreement between us and you know whatever happens happens. But then when you reach the dispute, uh, reach a dispute. I mean, that's when you typically uh, as a as a human being you fall back to the legal system in, in the country where you are living, and you know you expect legal recourse and you you expect to be able to you know recover uh, whatever wrongdoing was done for you uh, as far as you're concerned on that contract and i think this is where the yeah. gap happens so you know you know you hear all the stories about people losing their bitcoin or you know losing all of their money for uh, you know for a, in, a, in a smart contract or uh, that they had on the ethereum blockchain that had a bug in it for example you know it's you know you do what you do there uh, you know in the digital world but then there is no legal recourse there is no government kind of uh, guaranteeing that you know everything will go will be done fairly in those in those setups and 
it's because of that, you know, we're having these conversations that, you know, we should have regulation on the blockchains and, you know, we should have cross-jurisdiction kind of digital uh, kind of agreements between countries. But as said on this paper, I think that's extremely difficult to achieve uh, because there's so, so different uh, kind of setups uh, and environments in, in all of the countries. Yeah. And, uh, but maybe... maybe Sorry, no, I was on. just going to say maybe. Yeah, that's the right. I was just going to say maybe. I mean, we're in a grey zone, right? And and I think things are going to evolve and change as we move forwards. Today, if if you get into a dispute, then an agreement made between two parties via email is seen as a a legally binding agreement in one form or another. So, I think it's it, the law keeping up with technology. But then I'm not a legal person, so yeah, what do I, know? I guess there's different levels to this as well. I, I mean. <laughs> You could, I mean, even the construct of a of a contract, you know, you could argue, is it legal to begin with? Are there certain things that you just you you just can't agree to because the law doesn't allow it? So you know, and then who's responsible for that enforcement? You know, at a basic level, you know, um, you know, you're not even talking there about what if the con- something happens that goes wrong. It's like, was the contract even legal to begin with? There's recourse needed there, but also, I guess, and maybe I know you're a little bit into this space as well. It's degrees of you know, smart contract, right? So an IoT device that has a smart contract, you know, a very simple function, simple process, you know, you know, so is it depending on how complex the service you're trying to deliver is? Is there any meaning to that from, is it an IoT device that's just trying to automatically order something, for example, versus a large complex financial product at the other end of the spectrum? And I guess evolution is going to tell us, right? I mean, what's going to be, acceptable what isn't and what's going to be realistic and what isn't. Yep. Right? Agreed. Uh, and I think there's an interesting discussion to be had around, you know, how do you actually kind of integrate legal systems or legal frameworks in different countries into these digital representations, you know, decentralized or not. And I think that's perhaps a topic for, for a completely uh, other episode, perhaps. Uh, so we'll see if we do that uh, in the future. But, you know, since we're kind of uh, running, uh, running out of time, so I need to move us to the next, uh, next topic, which we have absolutely have to cover. Because obviously, you know, today, especially, I mean, there's no discussion about blockchain or cryptocurrencies these days with, without actually, you know, mentioning Facebook's uh, Libra uh, project uh, or the, you know, the ever ongoing saga of central bank uh, digital currencies. Now, in my mind, at least, you know, neither of these things, neither Libra or or central bank uh, digital currencies have anything to do with blockchain. But because, you know, these are typically linked together, at least in people's minds and, you know, in the narrative that you read in the papers, I think we need to cover these topics in this conversation as well. So perhaps, uh, Paul, uh, maybe you could uh, try to take a stab at uh, explaining the, the difference between a cryptocurrency like a, a Bitcoin or uh, and uh, what could be a central bank digital currency. Why does it matter that these things are different and how are they different? Of course. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So, I mean, I'm actually going to cover it off in, in three different buckets because I think it fits into three different buckets. If we start with cryptocurrencies, at the end of the day, they are, as we've already mentioned, unregulated. They're censorship resistant. They're based on a permissionless uh, network. It's accessible to everyone and it supports anonymity. It, it does try to, to follow cash uh, and the way that cash works in, in the real world. And, and that was the purpose of it. It's not backed by a sovereign state either, right? So it's in effect a made-up currency. It's, it's not supported by any central bank or any uh, sovereign state. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, whether you're talking cryptocurrency or central digital bank currency, they're all based around uh, cryptography at the end of the day, stored in a database or ledger or something else. 
But a central bank digital currency is a representation of the currency supported by that country. So it's, it's issued by the central bank connected to the fiat currency, and it's a digital representation and therefore regulated by the bank and the sovereign state. But there's also a, a third one, which is a lot in discussion now, which is stablecoin, which if we look at the difference between stablecoin, uh, central bank digital currencies and, and cryptocurrencies, stablecoins in effect are the same as cryptocurrencies. But there is a slight difference here, right? A stablecoin is trying to act the same way as a central bank digital currency by the fact that it's backed by a stable asset. So, for instance, you could say that you issue a, a stablecoin, which is pegged to the fiat currency of the US dollar, for instance. So this is a way for private or third party individuals to, to release a digital coin which has uh, less risk and, and less uh, flexibility, which is where Libra sits, right? So, so Libra is a stable coin uh, connected to, or they want to connect it to fiat currencies to be able to, to reduce that flexibility. And actually talking about this, a, an interesting article was published yesterday on Coindesk uh, reporting that China has proposed plans to create a stable coin between Japan, Korea, Hong Kong and China. And I think this is this is an interesting one as right, right? Because it, it will uh, they're proposing uh, a stable coin that will bind the APAC uh, economic leaders together. Again, the difference here then between uh, Libra, for instance, and and this stable coin is that the stable coin that uh, China is proposing will be governed and supported by the uh, a government authority rather than a third party or a private yep. uh, organization. Now it's actually again maybe we have another another episode coming on on the on the topic of stable coins and, and digital currencies uh, in general i think it's a very very deep topic that we should get, get into in my mind you know the difference on all the three um, great kind of categorizations that you did is that uh, it's the the difference really is in governance so you know you could argue that the permissionless networks don't have any governance yes. even though i could argue that they do and then you know the central banks are centrally governed so you know effectively they control it's like an almost like an account system if you will and then the the stable coins i mean these are the things you create on these permissionless networks and then you know it's ultimately boils down to how much you actually trust the institution that is issuing those um, those quote-unquote stable coins but yeah a super interesting topic but uh, let me bring it back to uh, uh, libra uh, a little bit so i mean david i mean you and me we both work for banks so i guess you know one of the uh, one of the uh, yeah. unfortunate yeah. or fortunate duties that we've had uh, uh, in the past year or so has been that we've had to explain uh, libra and you know blockchain and cryptocurrencies many times to our dear bank colleagues now I'm, I'm going to put you in a scenario here. So, you know, let, let be ready. So mm -hmm. imagine for a moment that, you know, I am the CEO uh, of your bank. Could you please explain to me why I should be worried about Libra or maybe maybe why I shouldn't be worried about Libra? Okay, yeah. No, I, oh, that's a good yeah, one. That's fine. <clears throat> actually, uh, it's, it's a bit of a side point. And I will answer your question, but it's I actually explained Libra to my oh, mom that's even better. yesterday. Higher authority. <laughs> you know, and it was the most... It was the most, yeah, exactly, <laughs> higher authority than now. Yeah, but it, it was the most bizarre because I was sitting there thinking, you know, what analogy could I use to make it really, really simple? And I don't know whether you guys had this, but growing up we had, like, um, store voucher cards. Like, um, yes. And I, it just suddenly came to me that she would get that. You know, I so said, basically, I buy, what happens is you buy vouchers 
that you can then use with participating retailers, right? So you back home, you originally it started with one store when I was growing up, and then a group of stores got together, and you know, so you bought into the system and you bought ten pounds worth, and that you had ten pounds of vouchers, and you could go into those stores and use your vouchers instead of the cash because they were representations of cash, and. Um, you know, she actually said, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. OK, I get that. Now, you know, that ignores a large part of the governance and the complexity and the backup mm. and all the rest of it. But in its most simplest form, I, you know, I kind of panicked <laughs> when she asked me because I was like, this this could be a long conversation. Right. And I just used that simple analogy and that was it. It was kind of like, oh, OK. So, you know, it's you just you buy something and then I can use it to buy other things if they if they participate in, in that program. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Makes sense. Okay, and uh, yeah, no, it, it was quite it was quite unique. But um, I guess the CEO's perspective is going to be, you know, look, obviously the you know they're used to a financial system, they, especially within banks. They're used to products and services. I think the biggest concern I would say for financial services organisations, and, and if you look at it from a CEO perspective, is is what interactions with the customer does that give me or doesn't it give me, right? And from a Libra point of view, it removes you know, a number of touch points with the customer, you know, effectively, if you look at the model in a very simplistic way, you know, you buy into the Libra system, then you're in the Libra system, right? You purchase and you do all your interactions within the Libra system for anyone who is willing to participate in that system. And if you're a CEO, that's probably going to be a concern because you're probably going to be looking at, well, not only is the payments that I know at the moment, but what other products and services are going to be launched? You know, is it going to be loans? Is it going to be credit? Is it going to be mortgages? You know, what is it? Where is it going to start? And where is it going to stop? So, you know, and then there's also the view that this, you know, some CEOs probably say that this isn't going to take off, right? I mean, it, it really does. But uh, I guess the danger is, is that is it's going to walk to what is a threat to the customer interactions is probably going to be the, the foremost concern. Yeah. I, I like the uh, I like the uh, analogy to to these stored value cards, especially because you know the uh, the whole regulation around uh, e money, for example, kind of came out of that. Uh, you know, when there was kind of there was it was yes. not so super clear on what is the role of these kind of stored value cards, uh, and you know what is the kind of how can you actually convert between that cash and those uh, stored value cards? So that's that's why in the European Union they came up with the e-money regulation. I mean that's one of the reasons. Obviously, it's a broader uh, landscape of, of the, the discussion of why it came about. But I mean, you know, perhaps you know that is a reflection of of how Libra will be regulated in the future. Maybe it should be regulated like uh, like e-money. Uh, but anyway, that's a, again a topic for a completely other discussion. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny because when I was a kid, I well, used to get to, these vouchers and. Um, I used to go in and buy, you know, I'd buy something and then I'd get given vouchers back. And I don't know why, but that really annoyed me. I really <laughs> wanted cash back. <laughs> I really wanted to be able to go outside of that network and buy in some other stores, but I got the same vouchers back to use. All right. Strange. Any last comments on this topic, Paul, before we close it? No, I, I don't think so. It was just a very small one around what you were saying about regulated and e-money. I believe, and I could be wrong here, and maybe some of our, our listeners can validate this, but to be able to issue stable coins, uh, generally you need to have, to be able to trade mm -hmm. them, to have yep. an e-money license. So from that perspective, Libra is, is going to be issued as a, a stable coin. They want to tie it to uh, fiat currencies in different countries. So from that perspective, I would assume they will be regulated under exactly. a e-money or license. mobile money, maybe in the emerging markets, like we're seeing with M-Pesa and so forth. But yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, well, I think ah, it's good a point. super yes. interesting discussion. Yes, maybe point. we need a Libra episode as well in the future. Let's see. 
Now it's time for the uh, the last topic of, yes. of today, and we're gonna keep it brief uh, since we're kind of already up against it on time. But I did want to kind of bring this up because you know it really seems like you know some of the classic fin- financial services companies are still uh, on the blockchain bandwagon, believe it or not, because you know it's been the hype has been kind of calming down a bit. So from Forbes magazine, I, I read this article that uh, Visa, the card network company, uh, has applied for a digital dollar blockchain patent. Apparently. <laughs> And uh, and they, they've uh, filed a patent for and quote uh, to create a digital currency on a centralized computer using blockchain technology end quote. I'm going to just leave that there for a second for you guys to comment and let's see where we end up. Uh, I, it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I look, you know, it, it's. It's it's a strange uh, strange situation, but uh, you know you, I, I get you, you get a lot of a lot of this in the, in this space. You know how many people apply for different types of patents all over the place, and you look at them and you think, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, what wh- where are you going with this, right? And like, Ed, and I guess that's my initial reaction is like, wow, you know what. What, what what does it come to yeah. when we we've got yeah, I think so, I think I, I'm I'm gonna have I, to you know give Visa the benefit of the doubt that there's probably some really smart idea behind this but you know the way this reads it's just it's the, like the cliche of of blockchain is that you know when you're creating a block uh, how how did the, how was it that it was, the saying goes there's only so much fun you can have on a blockchain of one. Uh, because that implies that you know what you've done is that you've done the world's most inefficient database uh, in a single computer, and um, but yeah, I think uh, again there has to be something behind this more than this. But I guess, I guess this uh, is just a funny way of uh, of pointing out the uh, that building a centralized blockchain is a, is a bit of a redundant uh, topic in my mind. <laughs> There has to be something more behind it. I, I've I read through it as well, and I'm not a patent expert, but from my understanding, your idea has to be novel and non-obvious to be able to get your patent approved. I'm not quite getting here what it is that's non-obvious and uh, and novel, and and where they're demonstrating something as not having prior art. But I'm not an expert in in the patent area, so so we'll have to see what happens. It would be interesting if it does get approved and a patent is granted to see on what grounds and how that impacts the uh, yep. sort of whole area of digital currencies. All right, but good. Right. So we're up against it on time. So unfortunately, it is time to close this uh, this episode two of FinTech Daydreaming. Again, thanks to our wonderful guest, uh, David Grundy. David, how can people reach out to you uh, in social media or otherwise? Um, I guess I'm a little bit old school in the sense I'm, I'm probably, <laughs> I don't use much of them at all except for LinkedIn, to be honest. So uh, LinkedIn is the best way. And of course, thanks to my uh, wonderful co-host, Paul. Paul, how can people reach out to you? They can uh, reach me through LinkedIn as well, the same as David. I'm also on uh, Twitter, but predominantly on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, you, you, you can reach me at on Twitter at Ville underscore S uh, or on LinkedIn, uh, just like uh, our other other uh, people here on the uh, on the podcast today. So I hope you have epi- uh, enjoyed this episode too and I uh, hope you join us for, for the next episode when we actually might get to our promised discussion about the uh, banking as a platform conversation. So see you hopefully in two weeks. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.